The first to be charged was Ravindran Gallipoli, who has a prior conviction from 1993 for indecently exposing himself to a cat. And now, the electric sodcast. Hello there, I'm Finton Hullabaloo, and welcome to On a Ring and a Prayer. Later in the programme, Reverend Kenneth Terrapin will be along to talk to you all about the Lord. But before that, let's catch up with all things ornithological. We've come all the way down to Goliath's pelvis on the Cornish coast, one of many splendid natural rock formations we're so blessed to have dotted along this majestic shoreline, the wonder of nature, of the natural weathering effects of the elements upon rock over the centuries, and of course, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Over the last three days, we've seen all kinds of feathered friends, (laughs) and, and you'll be amazed at the variety and depth of species we've encountered. First up, we saw this family of honking warblers searching for food in the waters of the Flid, an inland waterway that runs just by the pelvis towards the nearby Cornish town of Uar. Almost moments later, we were visited by this pair of turnip hens and a frisky mallard. It's incredible to think that these are exactly the type of birds that our Holy Father Jesu would have seen had he visited the Cornish coast over 2,000 years ago. But did he, though? Opinion remains divided. And who's this familiar face calling to us from the branches of a fever tree? Why, if it isn't a lesser-spotted bunglepiper, calling, perhaps, to attract the amorous attention of a mate. (laughs) Reprehensibly, though, there's no one around save for this fine specimen of an aggressive pied fly-tipper, which is, of course, thought to be the bird who landed upon the cross and cooed to the Christ as he bled out during the crucifixion. But the trouble with scripture is... It can be hard to prove any of it conclusively happened. And these days, everyone's just a silly doubter. If only we had cameras that we could send back in time. Jesus could travel in time, but we can't. And I think that's a very great shame. It's two o'clock in the morning, and above our heads, a kestrel manoeuvres in the dark. The swancocks are sleeping in their nests and using special night sights on our cameras we were able to record this sensational footage of these young fishermen's ghoulies. In the river, these nocturnal trout hasten upstream eager to evade the predatory gaze of the gibbering fudgehawks out hunting for food at this time of night. As the sun rises... So too do these flamboyantly feathered prancing tits. Dawn is the best time to search the ground for earthworms, the ideal high-protein foodstuff for their bleary young. Oh, but what's this? Danger! An infant fox scans the forest floor for food. But this is one ginger bitch who just can't be bothered to use her mouth this morning. Out by the pelvis, a flock of angry snatches congregate by the ferry port 
as keen as ever to encounter a European shag and a cheeky girl who shat on a Hyundai. And more of these avian amazements coming up later, but now let's cut to a pre-recorded section with Reverend Kenny Terrapin, who has managed to get even closer to the good side of the Lord than you could possibly imagine. Big pair of, big pair of tits there. And now, the new adventures of Matt Hancock. I call this meeting to order, and I'd like to welcome a non-board member today, Mr. Matt Hancock, who has graciously agreed to a day's consultancy with us for the princely sum of £10,000. Let's all uh, welcome him, shall we? Well, thank, thank you. Thank you all very much indeed. I've, I've long been an admirer of this firm and your products... Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, weaponry and armaments aren't everyone's cup of tea, but the contribution we make to the British economy by selling weapons of war into international markets is not to be sneezed at. Why, even the A38P, the Fletchette pistols we supply the militia and, uh, in Saudi Arabia are worth 2% of the country's annual profits, so uh, we're a big player. And uh, those landmines we sell to North Korea... Yeah, those tanks we ship out to Vladimir Putin. The nerve agents we supply to Bashar al-Assad. Yes, yes, uh, uh, British ingenuity at its finest. Yes, but these markets are shrinking, Matt. The administrative requirements of international trade in our post-Brexit world make business increasingly difficult, Mr Hank. Too many forms to fill in. But, but, but we've, we've taken back control of the, the will of the people. We simply can't compete with other arms dealers, not anymore. So we need your help to open new markets, selling these same very lucrative goods and aftercare support packages to domestic customers. Domestic customers? Yeah, we've had a number of inquiries from the British Freedom Party, the Metropolitan Police, the SNP, and even the uh, MK Dons Supporters Association. Well, y- yes, but you can't sell guns and tanks and bombs to violent terrorist organisations within the UK. And just think how much tax the Treasury are missing out on because of this short-sighted policy. Suella Braverman wants to buy a small fleet of tanks to patrol the coasts of Kent and Sussex. What we want from you, Hanky, is access. We want Boris! That's right. We want to speak to the Prime Minister. Ask him to reconsider the current legislation that prohibits us from developing new markets here at home. But Rishi Sunak is the Prime Minister now. Who? You are. Uh, What's he talking about? Um, What we want, Hanky, we want you to set up a meeting. No. No. I won't do it. It all sounds absolutely appalling. Immoral. Dangerous. I can't be part of any secret deal to bring guns to the streets of Britain. You might think my moral standing is lying down, but even I must draw the line here. (laughs) Only joking. (laughs) Calm down, Hunky. Only joking. That's not why you're here. You're just messing about. The real reason you're here is you're going to chug down this bowl full of pig semen. Gush took a trial, you blank-faced beige bollock of mediocrity. You noodle-armed nodule of a non-entity. Drink the pigges down in one or we'll fuck you up. Oh, God. Okay, I'll do it. I'll call Sunak. 
Why not sell a few canisters of nerve gas to the Birmingham cell of Al-Qaeda? Please don't make me drink it. Drink it! Drink it! Drink Drink it! Drink it! Drink it! If you're just joining us, or even if you've been slumped on the sofa listlessly staring at the snooker since lunchtime, welcome to the Chelmsford Civic Centre for this thrilling semi-final match between the man they call the Rocket, Ronnie O'Sullivan, and the Ra- oh. oh, shit. Hello. Ian Martin? I guess so, yeah. What's up? Um... May I come in? This won't take long. I mean, if you really have to. Are you the owner of a vehicle registered... Oh, wow. What's this? A screenplay? It's a sketch about two snooker commentators. I, um... We do a comedy podcast. I was recording my lines. That's quite a clunky line there. I wonder if you'd be better saying something like... Are you really a cop? Oh, zippity-dang-doodle I am. Because you remind me a lot of the novelist on a tart. <laughs> me? Hell no. I'm just an ordinary cop, ground down by all the weight of the world's problems. A woman who's maybe seen too much of humanity's darkness. An achingly lonely girl, perhaps, whose own romantic life has been wholly subsumed into her all-consuming, high-pressure career. Hmm. I should write that down. Okay, what's your name? I'm, my name is D- Daisy. D- Daisy Podcast. Officer Daisy Podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah. I put it to you that you are, in fact, the reclusive, enigmatic novelist, Donna Tard author of such works as The Secret History. Why does everyone glom onto The Secret History first? I also wrote The Goldfinch. But don't beat yourself up about that. Everyone sometimes, you know, has a a bad day in the office. Sure it was. Sure it was, yeah. Yeah. Can I get you a water? Do you have any rosehip tea? No. Chamomile. Why are you here? I've written you these sketches. You've written some sketches? Yes, for the sidecast. We don't really feature guest writers on the show. I mean, I write half of it, James writes half of it. Well, that's that's what we tell people. He's not really writing much at the moment. Breakdown. It's sad. The pressure on you both must be really intense. So, let me take up some of the slack. I've written some stuff for you. You don't need to credit me or anything. I'm a fan. You're a fan of the electric sodcast. What's your favourite, uh, you know, like sketch? I really like The Witness. That's... I mean, James writes those. And the moronic personal trainer sketches. Those make me scream. See, I write that. That's observational comedy, that is, you know, because he, he lives upstairs, for real. I only started writing those bits because he used to piss me off so much. A whole 
home would shake while he was upstairs doing his Skype workout classes. <laughs> it's genius. I mean it. Really. Well, I wouldn't know about all that. But I mean, if you know, if anyone would recognise True Genius, I guess it would be one of the finest writers of the last 50 years. Oh, well. I've done a few more episodes of The Witness for you. Here's one where he teaches Brett Easton Ellis to be a writer at a birthday barbecue for Douglas Copeland. And then there's a dog called Jonathan Franzen who keeps stealing their sausages. It's very metatextual. But, but, but is, it, is it funny? Well, you can be the judge of that. I'm seeing a lot of bad language here. Uh -huh. I mean, just on this first page. Uh -huh. I always thought your prose was, you know, refined. Elegant. Delicate. Yeah, but the curse words are essential to make the joke land. Which bit is the joke? Well, let me see that. I'm not seeing a joke here. Well, I can make it funnier. Just, just tell me what sort of thing you need. I can write any kind of comedy. Uh, look, here, uh, yeah, this, this sketch. This one about a middle-aged man. Uh -huh. And he goes to pee. Uh -huh. And it just keeps on coming. Okay. It won't yeah. stop. Hours become days. Days of piss. And then Bob Geldof organizes a concert to raise awareness and the guy's all alone in the middle of the stadium still pissing, and then Bono comes to, onto the stage, and he's going to host a concert, a benefit concert. Piss aid. I don't think so. This this sort of thing just isn't you, Donatelles. You're a Pulitzer Prize winner. Stick to the elegant prose, the needle-sharp observations. Sketch comedy is... it's not for everyone. <laughs> Lots of other comedy podcasts out there. Lesser podcasts, surely. Oh, I'm sorry. I wasted your time. Can I? Can I just watch you recording a sketch? Just, just so you know, I can say I was in the room while the magic happened. I guess, look, you know, if you, if you're, you know, quiet. Okay. okay. Here we go. <coughs> if you're just joining us, or even if you've been slumped on the sofa or watching the snooker listlessly since lunchtime, welcome to the Chelmsford Civic Centre for this thrilling semi-final match.
And now, on Looking Up and Inside, we journey to the sleepy Suffolk town of Lavenham in sleepy Suffolk, where Ptolemy Bottolph is enjoying an afternoon tea at Rose Traditional Tea Rooms, a rare post-Covid success for the service industry. Lavenham, perhaps one of Britain's best preserved villages, medieval charm can be found at every turn. The once prestigious wool trade may have disappeared, but that has been supplanted in recent years by chic boutiques, impressive gastropubs, and luxury holiday cottages. In summer, these narrow streets teem with tourists from around the world. Fat Americans in particular are keen visitors to these parts, spaffing their dollars to ensure this sleepy Suffolk town remains prosperous. However, one long-standing business was suffering, the Rose Traditional Tea Rooms, in a modest two-storey timber-frame building on the fringes of the 15th century Market Square. Their economic trajectory was heading south long before Covid almost sealed their fate for good. Something had to be done. Rose's proprietor, Irene McGonagall, explains more. Oh yes dear, we were struggling terribly. We couldn't make ends meet, even in the height of summer. It seemed a tea room just wasn't to everyone's fancy anymore. But my son Jeremy had a good idea to bring in a new chef to shake things up a bit. And he happened to be looking through the express on Sunday and he said, oh look mum, and pointed me in the direction of Jake. The Jake to which Irene McGonagall refers is of course Jake D'Amato, legendary celebrity chef, the once enfant terrible of haute cuisine. D'Amato has recently left his post as chef de cuisine at Noma in New York, and to her surprise accepted Irene's offer of work. One toasted tea cake, one rack of finger sandwiches, pot of oil gray and a hot chocolate. Table four, now! Uh, yes, chef, yes, chef. Jake D'Amato has inherited Rose's experience, but aged kitchen and waiting staff. What is this shit? Don't leave the damsen conserve on the side here, goddammit. Don't fuck me on this, Daphne. No, dear. No chef! No, no chef. So, sorry, chef. You're 80 fucking four years old, goddammit. Only enough to know better, you fucking mook. Yes, chef. Sorry, chef. He's implemented this strict kitchen regime and taught us a few lessons, I can tell you. <laughs> Apparently, he cut his teeth as chef de party at El Bully, so he should know his way around fruit scones. Clotted cream first, you cunt. Then the jelly. Do I look like a fucking Cornish inbred to you? No, huh? chef. Rose certainly appears busy today. In fact, a small queue has formed outside, waiting patiently for a table to become vacant, eagerly anticipating their ye olde tea room experience. Jake said we need more covers in this pissant joint, more asses on seats more often, so each table is on a strict one-hour limit. If they're not finished their scones by then, we have to eject them regardless. It's not easy, as most of our clientele are very elderly. But have you seen an upturn in taking? Well, yes. Oh, yes, dear. Give him his credit, because business has gone through the roof. Foodies come from all over to sample our wares now. We had a lovely couple in from Paris earlier today. A fella from Toronto, I think it was last week. He ordered a sausage roll. A party from Colchester. We've had Californians and Australians. Jake has even insisted we let the Germans and the Irish in. 
But the pressures of modern kitchens are evident. I want those Mr. Whippy straight, you dumb fuck. Whoever told you you could work with food, you fucking wretched prick, huh? You make me sick, Amelia. Get out of my fucking kitchen before I take a shit on you. Amelia is 16 and has a Sunday job here for minimum wage. Yeah, he shouts a lot, but he's like a genius and like he's not going to compromise on the quality of the like whippy kinds and stuff. He has terrifically high standards. Yes. <laughs> cucumbers for the cucumber sandwiches are now locally sourced. The bread simply must, must, must be Warburton's. But I don't mind that extra expense. If my diners are happy and if we pick up a Michelin star along the way, I'll be fucking delighted, dear. <laughs> the language around here may be as fruity as the scones, but clearly something is working. And if you're in the Suffolk area anytime soon, then perhaps don't expect Lavenham to be quite so sleepy anymore. Service on toe! Straighten that fucking butter dish, Daphne, you octogenarian fuck. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Certainly, chef. Welcome back to Song Poker, yeah? So this week we've got a right treat in store for anyone with ears that are screwed on properly, isn't that right, Dave? Damn right, Will. It's over five years since the release of a moon-shaped pool, but finally, the best band in the universe ever... Yeah, like ever, right? Like ever of all time, Radiohead, are heading back to the studio. From Pablo Honey to the dizzying heights of albums like OK Computer, Kid A, and In Rainbows, era-defining and award-winning albums. Yeah, but obviously the best one is Amnesiac, right? I mean, yeah, totally. Tom York and his gang of Oxford-educated, enigmatic musical magpies have dazzled the world with their ethereal, urgent, eclectic, and undefinable sounds. Radiohead are big, they are clever, and they are back. We were lucky to have a microphone of our own inside London's RAK studio to record the early sounds of Progtronic Genius at work. Thank you, yo. Um, you know, I'd become sidetracked, I suppose, by this book I was reading. It's taken me ages to finish, but I did finish it, you know, so we thought, you know, yeah, let's make another record. I can't find my scotch egg. Which one of you bastards has hidden my Tom, scotch Tom, egg? Tom, you know that thing you do where you go all, like, high and, and floaty just as the music cuts out and you just sort of hold that note for a bit? Let's do that, yeah? That's, that's golden, that is. Oh, use that one with the strings. No, not that one. The other one with the four strings. Use that one. What, the bass? Yeah, that one. Just sort of slap it around a bit. What, like this? Like... Oh, sweet lads. We've got a fridge full of Stella. Yeah, what we do, you know, what we've always tried to do, yeah, is to, like, write songs and then, and then record them, you know, on a record or well, a which CD. An F? Or even, you know, as, like, a... A download. Pilchard, you know, it's ten of them. That's pretty much know? what people seem to want. Like ten songs, and that's like a record. I'm not coming out of this cupboard until I get my tofu. 
Johnny, Johnny, you're standing on my wire, man. Get off it. Johnny, get off my wire. Johnny. Johnny. Johnny, get off my wire. Johnny, you're on Still, my wire. It might be the Johnny, mixing hub. Uh, plug it in. See what it... Oh, oh, right. <laughs> it's just the air conditioning unit. Yeah, my lyrics are about, you know, whatever you want them to be about or not. You know, it's up to you, the listener. I'm not here to tell you what to think, really. Although, you know, one time at Applebee's I asked Annie DeFranco to show me her boobs. So, I guess a lot of my stuff is about cool shit like that. No, put it away. Put it away. I hate it. I hate it. It's too difficult. I want to drive racing cars. Yeah, I say we sack this off. Yeah, head back to mine and have a John Wick marathon. you will but that's that's like seminal seminal stuff from a seminal band dave seminal finally a quick look at tomorrow's front pages the guardian lead with a story about um Something about the international response to events in Ukraine. The Mirror have a scoop about the tennis player Cam Norrie's robot wasps. And if you think the crossword in the Times was hard, try explaining particle physics to a Trump supporter. The Electric Sodcast was written and performed by James Burton, Ian Martin, Emily Zickler and Harry Whitley. Our original music was written by a nine-year-old, and the catering was by the Grateful Bread. Okay.